the risk of division, of exploitation, of marginalization, dehumanization, and domination. It's always present, but it's present in us as people, not in the data themselves. What is our role in the planning of the social aspect of the city? Very essential to modernization is that common people have basic services. They don't tell us what is, what is right or what is just, and I think we have to engage with philosophy to do that. Welcome back to the second installment of the Planning Ideas That Matter podcast's three-episode series focused on politics, policy, and philosophy. In our last episode, we heard from Professor Bish Samuel about the importance of having deep contextual understanding of places and institutions. And the limitations of technology in aiding the direct human interventions at the core of so much of planners' work. So in today's episode, we're going to expand on some of these ideas with a professor whose work centers around improving the manner by which people's experiences are brought to bear on public processes. Today, we're going to be speaking with Caesar McDowell, professor of civic design, whose current work centers on the development of community knowledge systems and civic engagement, as well as the use of mass media and technology in promoting democracy and community building, the education of urban students, the development and use of empathy in community work, civil rights history, peacemaking, and conflict resolution. <laughs> so Caesar's view on urban planning has deep foundations in the social aspects of planning processes. Right. And importantly, Caesar is challenging us not to define urban planning just as the built environment, buildings, roads, and other tangible infrastructure, but expanding our definition by challenging our conceptual frames. I guess for me, there's a lot more to planning. It's not just about the physical aspects of things, but what is our role in the planning of the social aspect of the city? So I think you need both, right? It's not just that if you design it and build the physical parts of it, it's going to automatically lead to a more just and fair and peaceful place. But you also have to plan and build and structure the social part of it. And that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that there has to be a one social system for everyone. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that people interact, people matter. How they interact with each other or don't has an impact on the spaces and the places that are there. And you can design in some way to encourage certain kinds of things, but you also have to then design and plan what's actually happening in the interactions when they do occur. It sounds like the process, as Bish talked about in our last episode, about the importance of focusing on the human interactions and the social structures underpinning our urban environments. Those kind of issues, institutional, organizational issues, they need direct intervention by people. Caesar has focused most of his work on making sure that planners understand the interventions they imagine will result not only in the effects on the problems they are trying to address, but also cause echoes of change across an entire urban ecosystem. He is focused on promoting how to facilitate and shape the impacts of direct interventions to ensure the benefits of change are shared by all. And what really exists at the core of this kind of learning? What is it that planners have to take into account to do this in the best way? That you don't know, won't know, and can't know enough. You can't know that complexity. You know it exists. So if you know that it exists and you can't know it, then a lot of what you have to figure out and do is how are you building and creating spaces for 
people who represent that complexity, who are that complexity, to be part of the imagination, the thinking, the framing, the creation of what the city's going to be. So in some sense, I think this creates a, a skill set for the planner. I actually worked with some students a couple of years ago. We talked about it as planners, as democratic leaders, really, that there's a way in which a lot of the work now is about how do we create the conditions that bring that complexity to the table so that when we are designing a building, thinking about a transportation ceiling or sewage systems or whatever it may be, we're making sure that that complexity is represented and that it's paying attention to each other, that there's deep listening, we're hearing each other, people have voices speak up, and all of that really requires intention and purposefulness. It's not just because you call a meeting. You have to really design for it, you have to plan for it. It is a skill set. I think it's one of the most critical skill sets that planners are going to have to have. So a more democratic, inclusive definition of planning will impact how planning as a profession is implemented? Right. Which in turn creates opportunities for a transformation of the social spaces we cohabitate, changing dynamics from one where we're competing to one where, working together, we're creating value. But how does the introduction of big data and the shift in definition from urban planning to urban science affect the fluidity of Caesar's definition of planning. People who do the data science say, can we monitor and measure and sense things that are happening among people and collect up this data and then show patterns and things that people didn't know existed? And I think it's all good and true, except for two things. One, you can only show what you can measure. And we know that we can't measure all that matters. And matter of fact, we probably can't measure the things that matter most. And so part of the issue with the data representation and data science is how do you balance out what we know how to measure versus what we don't know how to measure and the equivalency of those two things in a conversation and putting those things on level playing fields in a conversation. Ah, we've heard this before as well. This sounds very similar to our conversation with Amy Glassmeyer. There are patterns to one's everyday experience, but there are so many episodic interruptions that turn us left when we were going to go right or cause us to engage with others or even think differently. And I think there's going to be a long time before we're capable of really modeling human behavior. Absolutely. But there is nuance in what Caesar is describing. He's giving shape to the social fabric, one of those intangible aspects we discussed at the start of the series, that is just as important of an element of our urban ecosystems as the buildings, streets, and other critical infrastructure. My sense is that you start first from people's own experience and build out and then connect that stuff in. You never start with that kind of data. It's powerful, you know? And it's also, just like people's experiences, interpretation of it, it is not necessarily the truth. It's a representation of the truth. Representation. It's a representation of the truth. It's a representation that exists because of a set of things. One, what techniques and instrumentation are we using to measure and get the data to begin with? How are we then programming how that gets represented? I mean, there's a whole lot of interpretations and things that are built into what we actually finally see. So they're not truths. 
we are representations. And that's fine. And they're powerful, and they're useful, and they're helpful, and they're insufficient by themselves. It's striking and a little humbling that despite the allure of how exciting it is to imagine all the possibilities, having the tools and access to more data and better ways to analyze all that information, Caesar is arguing that we should focus first on critical self-reflection. In a sense, it's like he's arguing that big data's impact is really controlled by humans. Not in the sense that we've heard before about manipulating data to support our preferred views about the world, but more in the sense that even with this extraordinary tool, our ability to create positive change is limited by the very human element of being able to have empathy for those with different opinions, to be able to share a common vocabulary and have human relationships, even with those who are different or opposed to us and our ideas. We have to be purposeful about demonstrating and building and showing it is possible across our differences, our complexity, for us to be in conversation and dialogue and relationship with each other. The idea is that you want people to develop the ability that they can imagine themselves in another's position and develop empathy for them that way, right? So it's not real, you haven't done it, but there's something about a set of intrinsic values that you have that allow you to do that. We have lost so much of that in our public sense. And everything that we have around us as structured actually doesn't support that because so much of our life is around serving our own interests, our own particular interests, our group's interests, that we don't start with first imaginative empathy. And then what would it mean, given that, to actually create something that works? So Caesar is really driving at the need to come together in our planning process around this idea of imaginative empathy. And that this need is really the product of a deeply conflicted cultural context in the U.S. Maybe what we're seeing is right now the maturation of our early conquest mentality, getting to the point where its sustainability and its impact on our lack of being able to be sustainable <laughs> is becoming evident. So I'm not a believer in once it was good and now it's bad. I'm more a believer of there's always been an undercurrent. There's always been a thing going on in this world, in our country, that has become more and more adapted to, adopted by others. And so its impact and effect has really spread more. And it has broken apart a lot of things that would be helpful. I'll give you an example. My wife is from Turkey. She's an Afro-Turkish, she's a historian. And we got married, she came here, comes to the United States. She says to me one day, so, where are the coffee shops in which the folks hang out and have these you know, conversations and debates and talk about political ideas and so on and so forth? And I said, there used to be some and there aren't anymore. The coffee shops now are these spaces where people sit in front of their computer they are not social spaces for making meaning anymore. And that's an example of how this capitalist system, this thing that was a bound that we started out in and connected us, that engine has gotten adapted and moved in so many parts of our society that we've lost things. We don't even know we lost them. And we say, oh yeah, we have coffee shops, now we have more. 
yeah, we have more coffee shops, but actually what coffee shops used to be and meant, that glue that they provided, that opportunity for discord and discontent and conversation, it's gone. We haven't replaced it with anything. Some people say, oh, no, we can do all that online now. But now we do that online with the people we want to do it with. We've lost so much because we were duped by the promise of capitalism as we've lived in this country. This is really an explicit call for bringing forth the ways that we can relate to one another. And this need to bring intentionality to our society and social spaces is really at the core of the engagement process he's built. How are we building our capacity for this imaginative empathy as a secular nation? How are we doing that? And I think we have to be purposeful about it. I think cities, by and large, are places where this is coming home first in a really big way, and they have no clue how to do it. And I've been working on a series of things that I'm calling this civic design concept as a way of addressing that. It's not the answer. It is a way to start to approach the problem. This approach really emphasizes the need for planners and communities to engage, not necessarily with possible solutions, but first on ways of framing the issues at hand. It's very different to be in a framing conversation versus an ideation conversation. It requires you to think differently, act differently. And then if you're saying, well, we have this complex public out there, how do we get them in an ideation process? Well, we already know you know, you take some of the work from Project Zero and other stuff, we have multiple forms of intelligence. So if you're trying to bring the intelligences that people have into an ideation process, then you have to pay attention to the fact that there are multiple ways people can express their ideation. Right? And that's a design problem. So if the problem is around designing public engagement, how can it really be implemented by planners? How does Caesar suggest planners actually approach this engagement process? Well... In keeping with the principles of his design strategy, Caesar encourages planners to adopt a mentality that actually recognizes the importance and power of transitional periods as spaces where we can ensure that equity and justice are parts of the path forward. I'm not sure that we have all in place that we need to have in a democracy. We've built a republic in this country. Maybe we're missing some institutions. Maybe we're missing some really critical parts of what it takes. Like, where does wisdom come in and how it's built into our infrastructure of democracy? It's not. We're a secular society, but moral direction is important. Where is that within our context? What are the different structures, the different interactions that need to happen in order for us to have you know, more equitable outcomes in what we're doing? I think we have to hold on to this notion that we're in this transitional space. Right? And we say, like, does that start to move us in that direction? Not, is this the solution and this is what we want, but does it start to move us in that direction? Right? We're bumping up against a really large system, large set of beliefs, a large set of practices that aren't necessarily leading us to where we want to be. And so what do we start to do that starts to make inroads into that?
We'd like to thank the Department of Urban Studies and Planning and our guest, Professor Caesar McDowell. If you enjoyed the theories and discussion that we had on the show today, make sure to tune in to Caesar's new podcast called The Move. You can find it pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to check in soon when we have Professor Justin Steele join us. Where we'll close out our series on politics, philosophy, and planning. Until then. Thanks for listening.